is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Hey, Nailers fans, it's DJ Abacella with another exciting edition of the Toolbox presented by Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. My guest today had some great success in wheeling, and that led him to a fantastic coaching career. He won a Stanley Cup championship, coached in the Olympics, and is the second winningest U.S.-born coach in NHL history. It's Peter Laviolette. Peter, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to talk to me today. How are you doing through all this with everybody being locked down and just trying to work through every day? Well, it's been, you know, like everybody, it's, you know, these are the times that we're living in, and at times you can find it a little bit challenging, but really the best thing to do is try to stay safe uh, the best you can. And, um, you know, I know that we're, the way we do things um, socially, but we're in Tennessee, um, in Nashville, waiting for my daughter to graduate from Brentwood, Tennessee, which got postponed, and we're waiting to see if that happens in July. Um, since then, we've moved down to Florida here. Our, our main residence is in Florida, and, um, you know, we've just been riding it out here. So just trying to stay safe like everybody else and um, do the best we can inside of the, the situation that we're dealing with. You retired as a player following the 1996-97 season and jumped right into coaching with the Nailers. How did that job present itself to you that quickly after retiring from playing? Well, at the at the time, you know, the year before I came to Wheeling, Bobby Francis was the head coach of the Providence Bruins. And I wasn't really sure about coaching. And um, I remember that Boston had a lot of players that were up in Boston at the time. And I found myself playing more than coaching um, up until Thanksgiving. Um, I put a hairline fracture and a bone on the outside of my leg. We got a ton of players back from Boston. Um, they ended up staying for the rest of the year. And I found myself mostly coaching at that point. So I had gotten into it uh, before I, I applied for Wheeling. You know, as it turns out, I, I Boston, um, the, in Providence, their position opened up as the head coach the following year. Bobby Francis went up to be an assistant coach in Boston, and um, I wanted to interview for that job, and I don't think they thought I had enough experience, probably didn't have enough experience, and Tommy McVie, the coach of the Nailers, ended up going up there and taking the job there, and that's how the job in Wheeling opened up, and when I saw that, I knew that I think I could have you know, stayed there as an assistant coach, but for me, I wanted to be a head coach. I wanted to start my career. Um, I put my resume in with Wheeling, and um, I interviewed with the ownership and ended up getting a job, and just fortunate to be able to land a, a head coaching job like that and look back at that as um, you know, the, really the first step into coaching for me. You mentioned that lack of experience right away. How important was it for you to have the amount of buy-in that you did from the players being a first-year head coach? You know, whether you're a first year or whether you're a ten year or, or twenty year, I think that you've got to be able to relate to the players and you've gotta you've gotta present yourself where they are buying in. You know, players are smart. They're gonna look and watch and see what you're doing as a head coach and that that doesn't just go I don't I don't think it goes for a first year coach. I think it just goes in general in life. When you're in a leadership position, people are gonna watch you and they're either gonna believe you or not believe you. So it was really new for me, but at the same time we had an unbelievable group of owners. Um, we had an unbelievable group of players. We had a great staff, and we built something that was really fun, and I think the players felt like that they were part of it. And, um, you know, we're, we, I look back at that year, I look back at this appointment that 
you know, we didn't we didn't get to the finals. We lost to uh, we lost to Hampton Roads in the in the semifinals, and to me, that was just a real growing year to come from where we did with um, only two players under contract. We lost both affiliates, new ownership, new coach, um, not not any contracted players. It was really a, <laughs> a little bit scary at the beginning, but to be able to build something like that and watch it build was really special. What was the fan base like at that time? It was still a relatively new team, started in 1992. You'd had the success with the Thunderbirds, so winning was something that they were pretty accustomed to right away, weren't they? Uh, they were. Um, you know, the fans were awesome. Um, you know, I remember the, the building getting great crowds. I remember the fan base being really loud. Um, they enjoyed the game. They enjoyed the players. I think that the way that, you know, the organization interacts with the fans is always important and willing to kind of always open themselves up where um, the fans were touchable, the players were touchable and reachable from a fan standpoint, which, you know, that you want that interaction. If you're going to go and support players, you want to get to know them a little bit and get to know the team a little bit. And I thought Wheeling was good with that aspect of it. And I thought it was a really good, good relationship. Um, you know, my wife and I, again, that was our, we were newly married. And oddly enough, my first son is a West Virginian. He was born in Wheeling. All my kids are born in different states just from my, my career. But Peter was born there. So that was the start of our lives as a married couple. And, um, you know, we really just dove into the community, dove into the fan base, dove into the team, and kind of lived by that motto ever since. That's fantastic. After that year, right up to Providence, and you get the head coaching job there. Growing up in Massachusetts and with the presence that the Bruins have, also having played in Providence, was there an extra sense of pride getting a chance to be a coach in the Bruins organization? There was. You know, being a Massachusetts kid, when it came to ending my career playing, I ended up really trying to get and find my way back to Providence. You know, my family lives outside of Boston. They live probably halfway between Boston and Providence. So for me, this was, I left college, you know, when I was 20 years old, graduated, left college, and hadn't seen much of my family since then. And so for me, this was a chance to go back home and possibly end my career around them where they could come and see games and I could just be around them more. As you know, when you, you know, when you're a minor league hockey player or an NHL hockey player, you leave and you go to a city or there are 10 months of the year and you can't really leave at that point to go anywhere else. You can't go home and oftentimes you miss holidays and stuff like that. So for me to be able to go home and spend my the end of my career there was really, really a great opportunity for me. I ended up being uh, captain of the team um, the inaugural season and um, you know, move, moving back there, um, that to me was probably just a really good thing at that point in my life. The coaching thing just happened from there, like I said, with Bobby Francis. He asked me to be player assistant coach, and I knew at that point I wanted to be a coach. So to get to go back to Providence to be the head coach after playing there for five years and being a part of it and player assistant coach, to be able to go back there and be the head coach of the Providence Bruins was a real honor for me. And you won a championship there, 1998-99. What did that teach you from that year that impacted the rest of your career, getting a chance to win and taste big-time success that early? Well, it, it was awesome. I'll, I, I'll be honest. Like the, you know, the wheeling year was great. We ended up, to, to me, that was a year that we had to build. We made some trades. I remember we picked up uh, a goaltender, David Brumby. We picked up uh, Jason Tischer. We made some trades along the way. We brought in some great players. And um, we just built that team. And, and again, it was, I think when you're, you know, you talk about winning a championship, it was really disappointing not to take that next step. I thought that we, 
all believed that we could be champions in the East Coast Hockey League in Wheeling. And um, so to me, that was a little bit um, disappointing to go back and experience it where you actually go all the way through and you finish it. Um, I mean, that's that's really what it's all about. And it's not about the trophy. Or it, for me, it's more about the building process and watching a group of guys come together and, and fight for something. And we, we won a lot of hockey games. I think our our final record was was kind of crazy. It was at, through playoffs, regular season and playoffs. It was, I think it might have been like seventy one wins and sixteen losses. So we really found a way to to win hockey games, but to, you know to be able to finish it off and um, win the championship is, is something that you need to do for ultimate success. And that group was able to do it. So that to me was a, a really great year for us. You talk about the building process. You go from Providence, you go to his assistant coach in Boston, head coach then for the New York Islanders, and this must have been a process. You ended a seven-year playoff drought in your first year with the team. Was that another satisfying moment for you? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, you know, I thought that Mike Milbury did a really good job of building that team. He brought in some players and really looking to turn that around and send it in, in a different direction. And that was again just some something that we started to build because there were so many new pieces. I think building that team and we really found a sense of belief that we could win. Well, I remember. I think it was one point that we missed winning the division, but I sort of go from you know, whatever it was, 55 points or 60 points the previous year to getting 94 or 95 points and missing the division by one point. We played in a playoff series against the Toronto Maple Leafs that year. It's still, to me, one of the best playoff series that I've ever been involved with. It was fast. It was physical. It was nasty. It was exciting. It had overtime games. It had penalty shots. Seven-game series, and we ended up losing seventh game, um, three to two up in Toronto, but it was still a really memorable series, I guess maybe because it was my first, but maybe because of the way it was played as well. So to me, that was a, you know, a real positive step for the organization to, to move back into the playoffs and to be competitive um, after not being there for, for seven years. From the Islanders, you go to Carolina, and one of your biggest career highlights happens. You win the Stanley Cup in 2006. Unlike Providence, when you guys pretty much ran the table over everybody, you get pushed to a Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Final. You get pushed to a Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final. What were the emotions like coaching in those do-or-die type games with so much on the line? Yeah, I mean, you know, having been in a Game 7 in my first year in Toronto, like just you, know, you realize how um, the magnitude of the intensity of, of what a Game 7 is. And so um, I think with that Carolina team, the being forced into a Game 7 in the semifinals against Buffalo was really a good thing for us. With when you're building a team and and when you're when you're trying to get to the next level, I think you have to experience things. Sometimes it ends in failure and sometimes it ends in success, but those things that you experience they can make you stronger as a player and stronger as a team. And um, we were able to play in a game seven in the semifinals and against Buffalo, we won that game. And I think maybe that gave us a little bit of confidence too. And as we moved on to play Edmonton in the finals, it came down to that same game seven, um, probably one of the most exciting hockey games I've ever been a part of. Um, I thought Edmonton played really well in the game seven. I thought our guys played unbelievable in the game seven. Ended up being a really close game, and we we ended up closing it out at home in front of our fans for the cup. And um, you're right, certainly a memorable moment for for everybody in that organization. And um, you think about how many how many people that can touch and affect um, by having success from a from an organization to the people who work in the organization to the fan base to the staff to the players coaches to the families that extended families that you know support the the team in some way um it's a pretty awesome feeling 
Stanley Cups have to be the pinnacle of the sport, but you've also had a chance to coach in Winter Classics and Olympic Games. What differences do you see in the mentalities or the approaches in the players in those different big events? Well, the Winter Classics are are really just a great pause inside of an, an NHL season. You can go 82 games where you get to take a break and mark a game is a big game. It's still just the two points, but the day itself is a big day. And so you're really just moving about your business inside of an NHL season. You get the opportunity to have a, it's almost like a special day in the NHL where it's a big whoop-de-doo and, and they, and it's just, I think it's awesome. The game is awesome and it's, uh, it's great for, the, for, for hockey and for fans. Um, there've been some real classics that have gone on. And um, so for me, that's a, it's a real, I think, bonus for the NHL to be able to do that and just be able to create that game and create that environment for the fans. Um, Olympics are obviously different as a pause in the NHL, and it's a stoppage, and it's a completely different team. And, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been able to work with USA Hockey for quite a few different occasions. I've, I've worked for Deutschland, coached in Deutschland Cups, which I love. This is just a, a tournament where there's local U.S. kids playing over in Europe, and you come together for a weekend, and you play in the Deutschland Cup overseas, really not near the intensity, obviously, as an Olympics, but still a lot of fun to represent your country, um, coaching some world championships and world cups and, you know, obviously the Olympics. And to me, that's one of the greatest honors when you're asked to represent your country. I think players, coaches, staff, um, anybody who gets to be a part of that is is pretty fortunate. So I was really disappointed this year when the, um, you know, obviously the world championships got called off over in Switzerland because of the um, the coronavirus, but um, it was an honor for me to accept that position. I was, I was really looking forward to it where I wasn't working anymore, so it would have been a nice break to go over there and, and be a part of that. Well, Peter, you've had some incredible success, like we talked about throughout the levels, throughout the hockey world, and we here in Wheeling couldn't be more proud of you to continue to watch that success and know that once, 1997-98, you were one of yours, so Great job with all that you've done, and thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me today. Yeah, you're welcome, and, and hello to all the, the, the people out there that, you know, touched my wife's life and my life and my kids. Like I said, my firstborn is in Wheeling, and the ownership group that was so good to me, and, you know, my wife and I, we talk about Wheeling with such pride because it was really our first opportunity to get in and coach, and we couldn't have found a better place that welcomed us in and made us feel like family, so it was really the start for me of coaching and um, I look back at it with the greatest memories and I'm really fortunate to have been a part of that so thank you to you and and, and all of the fan base of uh, Wheeling. Huge thanks once again to former Nailers head coach Peter Laviolette for joining me on this edition of the Toolbox. There's no question that Peter is one of the most successful coaches that we've had here in Wheeling, if not one of the most successful members of the organization's 28-year history. And really happy that we were able to get him to dive back down memory lane and share some of the moments that really stuck with him from his time in Wheeling and also then throughout his professional career with one of the big highlights being that Stanley Cup championship in 2006 with the Carolina Hurricanes. As you all saw last week, Mark French is the new head coach of the Wheeling Nailers, and Mark will be one of the upcoming guests on the Toolbox. We'll get a chance to hear from Mark about how he's building this year's Wheeling Nailers team and also some of his previous experiences and how he fell in love with the game of hockey. 
As you can see, things are starting to ramp up as all the preparations start to get going for 2020-2021 and certainly be exciting to see how this roster takes shape. This has been another edition of the Toolbox presented by Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. I'm DJ Abasella. Thanks so much for tuning in.